Hello and welcome to Dance Talks. I'm your host, Andrea Cody. Today is August 28, 2020, and my guest is Rivka French. She is an independent choreographer and the director of Rivka French Choreography. Rivka, welcome to Dance Talks. Hey, Andrea. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure. Mine too. So tell us how you started <laughs> dancing. When I started dancing? Oh my goodness. Um, I didn't start any sort of formal training or any sort of physical anything until college. Um, before that, I was kind of a bookworm and a punk rocker and academic type. Um, so I found, I actually was required to take an elective in college and I thought ballet would be the most random silly thing I could do. So I dropped into a ballet class, hated it, loved it, hated it, loved it some more, and then found modern and that really sort of opened everything up for me. Um, and I changed my whole life path basically at the age of 20 and decided that's that I was going to commit myself to learning to dance um, really with the goal of choreograph choreographing because that was the thing that excited me the most was to create dance and I had already always sort of wanted to arrange bodies um, when I look back I see now that <clears throat> I loved dancing socially um, in high school and with friends and and I loved sort of the idea of, of manipulating dance and creating my own, but I had no vocabulary. So I had to start at the beginning and go to a lot of beginner dance classes with 12 year olds and be the worst one in the class. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, it where was did you go? To mainly the Houston Met. Um, I was in college and, and part of their dance program there, but something felt missing um, about the, the program at that time for me. And so I basically uh, joined a dance company, dropped out of college in my fourth year. I had been an English major and I was like, yeah, no, that's not it. Um, so I, I dropped out of college and joined the Easy Credit Theater, which was this really avant-garde, funky performance art dance company based in a coffee shop downtown called Notsuo, which is Houston spelled backwards. Um, and we would do these amazing 2 a.m. performances, um, you know, in body paint. And, and the director was the former, a former dancer with the Houston Ballet, Richie Hupshire, um, who had some pretty dark, interesting visions. And it, it really worked with my interests and aesthetic at the time. So everything from performing nude at the Rice Hotel when they first reopened and doing scarification as part of the performance to um, doing a, an entire Tom Waits ballet called Bone Machine and another show called Y2K, all about the end of the world. So that was around the year um, 2000 when I was dancing with him. And I realized that, you know, I was getting some training from him, but you can't just have one teacher. And I wanted to get it all. So I went to the Met and really got a very well-rounded education. I felt like, um, and Michelle Smith at the time allowed me to do um, scholarship unlimited classes for a really generous rate. And so, yeah, and then in the meantime, I started teaching kids. And then I, I met my artistic collaborator, Robert Thoth, who said, well, I'm a musician and I want to learn how to do film. So what if we got together and did, you know, dance 
original dance pieces with my music and then we could also make dance films as well. And within a year or two of collaborating with him, which was amazing, um, doing all kinds of weird projects, we <clears throat> decided that, you know, once you get a grant, you spend all the money on renting the theater. And he said, well, why don't we just build our own theater? That'll be Great. fun. <laughs> so a few years into starting a nonprofit with him, doing some original shows, performing around town, um, getting grants and commissions, we decided to go ahead and build Frenetic Theater in the East End. And that was a hundred seat black box theater um, that really was just a wonderful part of my life to, to build that, to have a kids program there, to have an, a visual art exhibit hall, to start the Houston Fringe Festival, um, have weekly classes. And then I also got to live there. So mm -hmm. it was really, you can see my cat has decided she's gonna, <laughs> gonna start reading. <laughs> she's gonna read uh, Martha Graham's autobiography. <laughs> oh, Martha. So, um, so yeah, we did that. And that took me to finally realizing, oh, I don't really wanna run a theater anymore and a festival and a, you know, a studio and a dance company and all of these other things. So I finally stepped away in 2016 to become an independent choreographer, which is what I'm doing now. And just uh, really following my passion and, and only doing performances and shows that I um, am excited to do. So yeah, in a nutshell, that was, that's been my dance journey. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen most of it. Um, I've loved it. I, I loved going to Frenetic Theater. It was, it was a blast. Loved the shows you guys did there and just how open you were to support the community uh, to come in and have events. Awesome. Yeah, that was what it was all about. It's like, yeah, of course, we want a place to perform and we want a festival that will put us in, but we also want everybody else who wants to, to get a chance to, you know, express themselves and and you know, when you when you produce events where you know you've got dozens of or even hundreds of, of different groups and ideas and modes of expression being represented, like you create a real opportunity for people to shine their light in the world, you know, and that's such a huge gift to, to give. So yeah, yeah, kudos to you for keeping that up for how many twenty yeah. years? Yeah. Go, 17, yeah. 17. So, yeah, tell me about your life, how it's really your, like your personal life has changed from juggling all of those gigantic responsibilities to just yeah. focusing on your art. What a leap of faith you made huh. to, to just try to do that. I didn't really so, have a choice. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how life does that. So I was, um, I would say I was pretty ambitious, you know, and, mm -hmm. and juggling a lot of things. And part of the reason why was because I was a lesbian in the closet. And so when you have a secret or something that you're, you're not admitting to yourself or and to the rest of the world, you, I at least, um, you know, used that sort of what I was hiding to fuel and to, to like create in other ways, which was, you know, good. I mean, at least I had a positive outlet, but I was definitely, um, I was living a double life in a lot of ways and I wasn't happy. 
deep down. So when I finally admitted to myself, okay, I'm gay and I've been like hiding this for so long and I want to be a whole person and I want to have all the parts of myself expressed um, in the world. And so once I did that in 2012, then this, it was like a huge weight came off and I was able to not only explore that part of myself and like enter into really satisfying romantic relationships from then on, but also it, it, it opened something up in my work. And I would say definitely my choreography and the, <clears throat> the kind of art I was making got a lot less angry <laughs> yeah. because I had just been like, oh, in this like internal struggle, you know? So, and I think that happens with age anyway, like you start to kind of like take things less seriously and like you're still really passionate about everything you care about, but you, you learn to kind of lighten up and like realize, okay, this too shall pass. So, so um, coming out and being a whole person and integrated in that way and being like, I just have to be me. I'm gonna let the chips fall where they may. Maybe my board of directors won't like it. Maybe my family won't like it. Maybe some of my, I'll lose some friends. I don't know, but this has got to happen. So once it happened, it was like, phew. Yeah, there were some repercussions, but nothing, you know, nothing that I couldn't deal with that I wasn't prepared to deal with. And then my art became lighter and more joyful. And I feel like a lot of things about it really improved. Um, and, and now I'm at a point where not only am I, you know, an, an activist and a leader in the LGBT community, and I get to empower my community in that way and be a, a resource for people who are also struggling with some of those issues and, and be a stand for their healing and their empowerment and their expression. And I get to create events and, and, um, you know, but, and then it also, it, it also fuels some of my choreography because there's just not a lot of queer dance out there um, yet, but it's, it's growing and growing. So that's been part of my journey as a, as a choreographer and artist that like, I wanna make more dance that represents my community and like things that I wanna see on stage that I don't get to see enough of. So my next dance film will be um, a romantic duet between two women and, um, and exploring gender identity and orientation and and just the idea of touch, which is so interesting to me right now because we're not really allowed to touch each other in this time. And so I value touch and intimacy on a physical level in that way so much more. Um, so it's really a, kind of a timely project. But yeah, so integrating you know all the parts of myself has been really important for me and I just didn't have a choice I was just too unhappy to keep going the way I was going um and there's a point where like yeah if something's wrong just ignore it don't worry it'll get worse you know <laughs> <It'll just laughs> you, you either align or align those are your only two options you have to like actually be yourself be your true self and like follow your heart and so, and I've also been on a really um, wonderful spiritual journey in the past year and a half or so that is, I don't know if it's affecting my choreography necessarily, but it's just making me a much more happy, integrated person in general. Um, and just helping me, you know, with my perspective on a lot of things 
to not, I mean, what's that? What's been the spiritual journey? Well, um, I started with therapy. I was so anti-religion and anti-spirituality in general um, for a long time. So it took a long time for me to get there. And uh, basically I was anti church because of the the anti-gay thing um that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way obviously <clears throat> and all the problems that are associated with organized religion and what people do with what started out as a pretty great message you know um and then on the other side of that i i had a dad who was bipolar and who who claimed to be an eastern philosophical, um, like a Buddhist, but he, he sort of like took those teachings and manipulated them in a way that was very unhealthy. And so I, my whole life, I thought that stuff was wacky and, you know, BS and, and not, not for me at all. So I was just an atheist for a long time. And, you know, I was very angry at a God that I didn't believe existed. (laughs) Wow. You know, and so, um, so I, it really took like, I started with therapy and then that sort of took me into like following certain thought leaders that were espousing meditation and then going into meditation is like, oh, I don't know, this is too woo woo for me. I don't like it. And realizing like, oh, wow, actually I'm connecting to something that like I've always been connected to in all of the, the beautiful moments of my life. Every time I choreograph, I'm channeling something through me. I'm like a vessel for something bigger. There has to be something bigger. You know, I've always felt that connection to a higher intelligence, pure positive energy, God, source, whatever you want to call it. I've always known that was there, but I was just really angry at it for, for being represented by religion and by the things I didn't like about my father's portrayal of, of Eastern religions and philosophies. So it was like, literally, it took me to get into my 40s before I was even open to spirituality. Um, And it took meditation for me to get there. And through that, I've become someone who's not in denial of a bigger energy that I'm part of and that, that I came from. And the awareness of like, that whole original sin, like you were born unworthy and you have to spend your life proving your worth to some God that's really angry and judging you and going to send you somewhere really bad if you don't check all these boxes. Like, that's not it for me. It's, I am of God. I was born worthy. God doesn't make mistakes. You know, I'll go back to God when I die. I'm here to be an expression of God's love and to um to expand the collective consciousness to expand on god so like it kind of takes a lot of the pressure off (laughs) when you're like oh i'm not like being judged by an angry god all the time i'm actually i am that god i am of that god and um and to some that would be blasphemous you know and that would that would be like hey you're going to hell but like Mm -hmm. if you don't believe in hell then then it's all good. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think hell is something that people created 
to control other people and to um, to punish themselves, you know? And so there are people living in hell on earth right now, and there are people living in heaven on earth. And so I choose heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, tell us about your, uh, your work. Like, tell us about your style, you know, for those who haven't seen it yet, um, and also where we can see it, but just kind of give us a idea of what you do. I, uh, I haven't been doing enough lately, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I really loved and connected with modern dance for a long time, um, the traditional Western modern dance, but always wanted the influence of other styles. So really um, always being open and available to, to, to bring other things into my work has been important to me, not only with multimedia um, aspects of bringing dance film into live performance um, and having projections on dancers or having film in the back be part of the story or doing like live feed stuff and all kinds of technology potential. Um, that's always been a really fun part of it. And also telling stories through dance, but, but keep it, having some of it be abstract. Um, so basically, I've done it all. Uh, I, I, I love big theatrical shows on a, on a large concert stage. I love small, site-specific, immersive, interactive work. I love making dance for film um, and, and integrating all sorts of technology into live performances. So that's the, you know, the logistics, but then aesthetically, stylistically, I, I started with the modern dance Western foundation and then got really interested in Asian styles within the past like eight years when I first saw Shen Wei's company um, touring to Houston in 2012. Um, the Buto and Tai Chi and Chinese opera influences in his work have really um, impacted me in ways and same with african dance when i see it you know african hip-hop jazz all of those um all of those styles have influenced me a lot so it just in the past year or two i've thought gosh what if i could blend my modern training with these influences from the asian and the african um styles and traditions and and beautiful aesthetics and so that's really where I'm at with, with what I'm digging into. Um, and so my last film, Concrete Flow, is on YouTube and it's a five minute dance piece that four dancers um, were in front of five different murals in Houston doing hip hop influenced, but it also had a lot of the Asian style, um, contemporary short piece to um, some kind of poppy music. Some of the second song is a lot harder. The first one is more smooth. And it's, I think it's a fun um, bringing together of really cool mural visual art of Houston and lots of different dance styles and, and very different dancers who come from different backgrounds but who can all do interesting things. So that's on YouTube. Um, my last big show was called Bodies of Light and that was much more Asian style. Um, 
you would look at it and think blue toe dance right away because the dancers were in all white body paint um, and basically nude, just in a thong and nipple covers. And the movement was very sort of surreal. And there were lots of big dancey um, athletic parts of it, but then some of it was very slow as well and sort of meditative. So that was a full length show that happened um, at a beautiful site called the Glass Crescent, which my friend Nestor Tokchi, his wife Mariana um, owns and runs Avant Garden. And they're just like this incredible power couple. Um, right. He made his studio available to me and it's called the Glass Crescent because it's in the shape of a crescent. And one, the whole half of it is just glass, beautiful glass windows that he, I think were donated to him from a church and so, and he's a Buddhist and he's a painter among many other things. Um, and so when the light comes in through the windows every day, he paints a mandala in the shadows and like it's super spiritual wow. while he's drinking his tea. Um, so it was just such a serene and picturesque environment to do it there. Um, so yeah so that was kind of a, a fun sort of gender queer exploration of of, of bodies it, it it sort of was reminiscent of like what statues coming to life would look like or aliens exploring what it's like to be in a human body um and it ended with sort of like a gay marriage at the end of like me and um amy phillips were dancing at the top of what looked like maybe a wedding cake and the dancers were under this giant white skirt and they all emerged from out of the skirt. And then it was it was kind of, I described it as like, it's like a sensate orgy, like from that show Sensate, but the dance version, like G-rated dance, but still like super sensual and beautiful and very gay. <laughs> <clears throat> so that was really fun. Yeah. We'll put a link to Concrete Flow in the notes okay. to the show. What about for um, Bodies of Light? Is that? I have excerpts of it public. The full version is on Patreon. So you have to become at least a $2 a month subscriber to see the full length documented version of it. Awesome. So tell us about your Patreon. Oh man, what a great idea, right? Like back to the whole um, concept of, you know, Mozart and Beethoven and lots of painters back in the day, they just had a few rich people who supported them and they were able to spend all their time making whatever they wanted. I know it's not that easy, but that concept of like people who like your work, just pay you like a commission um, or a monthly fee, and then you're free to pick whatever projects you want. Um, so that was basically the concept that, that drew me into starting a Patreon page. And the people that have subscribed, I believe I have 22 subscribers right now, um, from everywhere, you know, to $2 a month and up, and they get different perks. So basically, like, I post something new every week, whether it's like an instructional dance video of me breaking down a short phrase or a full-length class. Um, <clears throat> and then they have access to coming and taking in-person classes with me here at my little home studio that I just um, opened with nice big mirrors and a nice open living room space to dance in. Um, you just can't jump on one side of the room because there's a ceiling fan. But other than that, <laughs> jumps are great. Um, the floor is springy. So, so they have access to all of that. And then I'll share like personal writings and, and you know, here's what I'm up to and videos 
of like just me talking about life and and definitely more of a personal side. So it's really a good blend of like, hey, if you want to dance with me, that's included. If you want to see all my past work and like longer documentation and lots of photos of things that other people haven't seen, that's included. And if you just want to like find out, you know, what's going on in my personal life, that's included too. And then some of that is put out onto Instagram and Facebook and YouTube just for everyone, you know, because anytime you're a content producer, you always want to provide the public with something free just because, you know, you want to share it. And then, and then for the people that really resonate with it, you want to give them an option to have more if they're willing to support you at a certain level. So, you know, when someone supports me at the $100 a month level, they get to be the producer, name, the name producer of my next dance film, you know, but if they can only do a $2 a month or five or 10, they're still going to get the instructional dance videos, you know? So I, I feel like it's a really fun and fair way to engage with the public and, and make enough money to keep your work going, you know? which a lot of people are struggling with right now more than ever. Um, and so I recommend it to anyone who has, you know, some people in their life that they think would be willing to support them and who just really resonate with their work. And then of course the goal is to get it to where nationally, you know, people from around the country and then internationally people from around the world are, are becoming members and subscribing. So yeah, it's fun. I like it. Awesome. How long have you kept it up? I guess it's been, I, I think I started it just before the pandemic. Oh, great. It's like Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic is kind of how we look yeah. at a lot of things <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah, so I started it. You had it set up when this started. I think I had just, it's not hard to set up. So basically give yourself a few hours, you know, and start posting, you know, adding your stuff to it and then just and then just send a Facebook message to everyone you know and an Instagram message and a text message and then that's really where the time goes is like letting people know about it so um so yeah but I think it's worth it when you I looked at someone named Amanda Palmer who was in a band called the Dresden Dolls and she legit has I want to say 19,000 Patreon subscribers. Wow. I mean, what she's able to do with that income, she has a video that shows like all of the incredible projects she's made since she built up that base. And it's everything from, you know, amazing collaborations with her heroes to, you know, starting initiatives for kids to traveling the world doing tours that she wouldn't have been able to do so like obviously that's a really lofty goal but to see that it's possible you know is is what kind of got me in the game of like wow she has so much artistic freedom and so much ability to impact so many people and do so much cool stuff <laughs> i don't know if yeah. i'm not the other s word um that is so great Wow, I want to be I want to be that woman, yeah. yeah. And I love that it really encourages people to donate to you. I mean, regularly and it without any like overhead or fiscal sponsorship fees or yeah, you know, there's no typical like process with like 
I think um, you get into that in the arts a lot. With fractured atlas, yeah, or with um, having a physical mm -hmm. sponsor, or with getting, with ha with running. I mean, you know, that running a nonprofit is no joke. <laughs> it's a it's a full time job, and so mm -hmm. it's great that you can tell people, hey, donate to my nonprofit, and you'll have a tax deductible donation, and people like hearing that. But for someone like me who just wants to be lean and mean and pick all my projects and not answer to a board and not manage a staff. Right. Um, it's super ideal. I mean, they take their, Patreon takes their little cut, you know, but it, they handle everything else. And, and people who do want to make a tax deductible donation will just have to go through my fiscal sponsor, which is like waiting in the wings ready to do that. But mm -hmm. they're not the ones that, that do the Patreon. So it's important. I mean, I think we all are learning, you know, obviously if we didn't already know, now we know you got to be flexible in this world as an artist <laughs> and just as a person <laughs> during these times. Yeah. So be flexible and don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like have yeah. you know try to get those grants and and have that fiscal sponsor and get those individual donations and right. you know and then ask your parents for money if all else fails. <laughs> <laughs> so when you like, can you give us a little bit of perspective on like your financial situation from running a nonprofit with the responsibilities of that, you know, having to deliver and, and make such a big presence in order to like garner that, you know, attention and, and merit for winning grants, which you, which you did so, so much um, to now, you know, there's so like, I would imagine you don't have to do all of that effort, but like, are you still able to do the work you wanted to do? You want to do? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's it, it's not as stable. It's not as guaranteed, you know, as when you can say like, okay, we know that as a nonprofit, we're going to get operational funding from Houston Arts Alliance, and if all goes well, we're going to keep this one from the Brown Foundation and this one from Texas, you know, Arts Commission and so you don't have those assurances as an individual artist at all, not even a little, but you don't have the overhead either. So it's like, you know, I can literally, if I want to, I can make a dance project for very little and perform it for free if I, if I just want to dance and perform. Um, but so what I started out doing was I looked around and said, okay, what individual artists art grants are available? started applying to Houston Arts Alliance for those, of course. Um, they didn't have a lot of dance rep representation on the panels at the time, so no dance was getting funded for a few years, which I, as an individual artist who wasn't running a nonprofit, who didn't have to be scared of Houston Arts Alliance and their staff, I was able to raise a huge stink about it and go to the CEO and say, this is not working. Look, you only funded one dance thing last year. What's going on? And then he was able to change the structure of the panels to be more representative with dance um, because he looked and said, you know, I think we need more people and we definitely need more dance representation. So, so that while all that was in process though, that took a long time and there were just not a lot of city opportunities for individual choreographers while they were getting that sorted out. So I started, I, I really um, had some good experiences with galleries 
And I was like, okay, I like dancing in museums. I like, you know, um, I like seeing dance for sure in places where there's great visual art happening or great videos um, being shown in conjunction with exhibits. And so I performed, I did some, I got commissioned for Station Museum of Contemporary Art. And then, um, and they're just amazing. If you, whoever's listening, if you haven't been there, go. They're always doing really woke, political, um, wonderful artistic exhibits and supporting the community in a lot of ways. And so I worked with them after the 2016 election, me and my friend Ayokunle Bolomo, who's a poet from Nigeria, we were like, we're so angry. We're so angry about Trump. Let's make a show that's really political. So he brought in all these poets and I choreographed dance in front of this torture exhibit by Andre Serrano, which he's one of my heroes. Um, so that really came together nicely. And, and then Houston Center for Contemporary Art, Houston Center for Photography, HCP. Yeah, I got commissioned by them to do Bodies of Light excerpts in conjunction with a really great exhibition they had with an Asian artist. So it fit aesthetically very well with his style um, about alienation and sort of belonging to two cultures, but not feeling like you belong to either one. And then also the Contemporary Arts Museum Houston commissioned me to do the Stonewall 50 show, <clears throat> which was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, which set off the, the modern day gay rights movement. And so I got to commit, I got to curate a night of dance where um, instead of choreographing the whole thing and having it be like the Rivka French show, I was like, no, 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 this, this topic is way too big for me to try to take on. I'll curate, um, seven of the best queer choreographers in Houston to, to bring their work to it. We'll recreate a nightclub setting because Stonewall was, you know, an awesome nightclub where like the seediest of the gay community hung out. Um, and so we recreated that in front of the visual exhibition going on and they showed their work. And then I, instead of choreographing at all, I made a 10 minute history video history of 50 years of gay rights which took weeks and was really intense wow. <laughs> really intense I, I learned a lot and i cried a lot because there's there's been some tragedy wow. <laughs> like any minority group you know i yeah. mean you know back 100 years of women's rights or you know african-american rights or latin latinx rights like whoo these rights have been hard fought um but it was a beautiful experience. And so, yeah, museums have been a great resource for me as an individual artist. And I, I plan to continue that. But literally, it's, it was a lot of cold calling, you know, it was a lot of emailing like, hey, I'm, I used to run a nonprofit and I used to like have this sort of thing with my identity and have this credibility. But now I'm just floating out here in the ethers and I want to <laughs> perform and like, somebody you know so you really have to like make new connections and network but also like like use your the people that your available resources like Nestor my friend who I've known for 20 years you know he had this great art studio and that's where I ended up doing the show after the rice um the sky space gallery canceled where I had 
you know, worked really hard to get commission for that and had the contract in place and signed and everything. And they were like, never mind, just kidding. You can't ah. do it here. <laughs> so yeah, so being relying on who you know is and um, and then being willing to step out to, to make new connections, I think is really important. Anytime you, you know, venture on a new journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, it's great you did have a lot of examples of your work to share to kind of get you going i'm sure initially yeah i was lucky that my main collaborator you know for 13 years was a videographer and so right. we had most maybe 60 percent of our work was was actually documented a mm. lot of it wasn't which is always heartbreaking yeah. oh like, yeah oh, it's just gone yeah right like, no one no one will ever see that again Totally. Although they also, if anybody slipped or fell or anything, they, <laughs> you know, at least that, that won't be seen again. So um, give us that idea of your creative process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, it feels boring, but like I just daydream, you know, I just let ideas come to me. I listen to all kinds of music all the time, like most choreographers. So I'm just obsessed with music. And, and when I hear a song that's amazing, that sometimes gives me an idea for a dance. Yeah. Other times it's a, it's a concept of like, you know, wow, I'd really like to explore this theme. And then ideas just start dropping in, um, visuals. When every time I go to a dance concert, I bring a notebook and I write down ideas that I get inspired to see, which I haven't seen live dance in a while, of course, mm -hmm. but um, but even watching videos, I'll be like, you know, wow. I do that, I do that too, and uh, mm -hmm. I did it going to see Love, the Cirque du Soleil show about the uh -huh. Beatles in Las Vegas, and and the uh, the usher told me I wasn't allowed to take notes. <laughs> okay. I was like, well, you guys got this really locked down. Did you have like a phone flashlight on or no, something? No, I brought a little notepad. They were like, nope, no notes. I'm that was good. No one had ever said that before, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously no cameras, but like, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Like literally, I can't even read my handwriting sometimes. <laughs> it's dark in the theater and you're just like chicken scratching going, God, I can figure that. Sometimes I'll write it twice just in case. And then I'll pull the notes out and literally I wrote the same line over and over on top. Like I wrote different words over on the same sheet of the book. Right. That's so funny that Cirque du Soleil did that to you. They're jerks. <laughs> so are you writing down like moves or just whatever, whatever you like? Like, yeah, if I see huh. somebody move in a really interesting way, I'll just write that down. Like, whoa, the deepest plie ever. And like, how did they turn that way? Or if I see something that's cool, but makes me think of another thing, you know, yeah. like, oh, I liked the way they were connecting with each other. That makes me think how interesting it would be to see dancers like super in love and then like push each other away really aggressively, you know? So like sometimes it's just like mm -hmm. a chain reaction mm -hmm. of like, I like seeing that, but it makes me want to see this or like, oh my God, I have to steal that move entirely. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like other times I'm like, that turn was insane. Like if I could even do it halfway as well, like I want to yeah. do that, you know, but then like you always manipulate it because like stealing somebody else's choreography is the worst. Like I would never do that. 
So yeah, so inspiration comes from everywhere. You know, it comes from playing with kids. It comes from watching your pets move around the room. It, it literally, like, just locking myself in the studio for two hours, like, that's where the best stuff happens. You know, when you just yeah. let yourself play and move and. <clears throat> Sometimes having a deadline is good and other times just being free, you know, I'm definitely going to make a new solo, but I don't have a deadline. I don't have a, you know, a need for it. I just really want to explore the idea of, of gesture and big travel. So like mm -hmm. those two things together is what's interesting me right now. My last solo that I did in a cemetery because COVID. Um, oh, wow. I, <laughs> I, I used a game for myself that was like what if I made a, a movement idea for every letter of the alphabet so it was like um, anterior and then breath and then crest uh, it was a while ago but like there was a you know, <laughs> and so it just became this like gestural thing that started to travel and ended up um, you know having a movement for every letter of the alphabet. It was super fun to do. So, you know, just having that mental game to play because I was like, there's nobody to dance with. There's no rehearsal to show up for. There's no deadline, you know, there's there's no show. What do I do with myself, you know? Oh, okay, I'll make a solo. I'll call it the ABC solo. It'll be great. I'll do it in a cemetery. <laughs> I'll film it, <laughs> throw it in the warm storm. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So are you developing work now just like into the abyss? Well, that's another good thing about Patreon that it's kind of an anchor where I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. these people are paying me to create content. So okay. I'm going to create this phrase and then, and then make sure I post how to, how to do it. And then I'm going to teach a class and have, you know, choreography for that. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit how it feels right now. It's like, mm -hmm. we, I think we've all gotten so connected to what we can't live without during this pandemic. So like, we're, we've been able to let go of a lot of things we didn't actually need, you know? A lot of things we spent money on that we didn't really need to buy and wasted time spinning wheels. And like, there's so many things that we've been like, oh, I don't have to do those things anymore. It's so great to not get up and go to the office or not, you know, run all those errands that were unnecessary. But then like on the flip side of that, like I literally cannot live without dance. Like that is my truth. That's my reality. That's why I'm here on this earth is to be a dancer, a choreographer, a creator, an empowerer of other people's expression, um, <clears throat> a connector. All of these things are, in my blood so like i don't care if i'm getting paid i don't care if i have a show coming up i'm going to dance i'm going to find a way you know so mm -hmm. so that's been um a really great realization is like yeah there i don't care what the restrictions are i'm gonna find a way <laughs> you know to have dance in my life and if i don't then like I don't really want to be here, to be honest. Like, that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. So I think getting really clear on that is important for people to understand what their true purpose is and then just be in it, live in it, 
and and embrace it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so can't stop, won't stop. Right. So, what would you do if you just had to do solos on YouTube forever? Is that okay? Yeah, uh -huh. but that, but that's not that's not gonna happen. You know, I say that knowing full well. <laughs> Knock on wood or something. <laughs> yeah, like already. I mean, there are projects starting to come together, you know? Okay. And I have a photo shoot next week with Ashkan, who does a lot of work with Houston ballet dancers. And man, he's, he's got great ideas. And um, there's just always, there are always people who want to collaborate and create in whatever way is acceptable, you know, for, for the current conditions. So <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I'm going to find my duet partner in Austin and, you know, I want to do a big group piece. I think that'd be so fun, you know, to get a group of people together again. And I was just in a music video that, um, you know, rehearsals, we had masks on and then we, we danced, we created the music video. It was for my friend, Angie Uheglu, who's a really great singer um, and mover as well. And so, you know, lots of projects are happening and they will, it's just gonna get better and better. You know, there's just gonna be more and more opportunities to create. So I don't know, I'll probably go back to writing some grants for like bigger projects in the future. But I literally spent a whole season writing grants like last mm -hmm. oof, fall, last summer and fall, I feel like. And I don't really wanna go back to sitting at a desk for that long again. Sorry about my roommate's home. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of on the, the line of like, do I want to try and get the government money like I, I sort of relied on for so long? Or do I want to make Patreon the big push? You know, mm -hmm. like, is that the, the direction to go where that there's all that freedom and all that stability with the income, but it's less than when someone says, here's $7,000 or $15,000 or even $60,000 to tour this show, you know, like that's still very, you know, attractive to, to any individual artist, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know, what should I do? I guess I'll meditate on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. it just, but it makes sense that at this point, you know, just getting more Patreon subscribers is really your way to having more freedom and to be able to save money to do bigger productions. I mean, that's, that's a, a great avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know what's going to happen with unemployment, but I've been really blessed to have that assistance since it started. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's been a huge lifesaver. Um, and, you know, we always figure it out as we go. We always make it work. Like, you know, if you're, if you're scared about the future, like just, stop and look around and be like, I'm here now. I made it this far. I'm gonna, <laughs> like, obviously I'm doing something right, you know? Uh -huh. So whatever happens, like, we're going to make it, we're going to get through this and we're going to keep being artists because it's who we are. Yeah. And I have a hard time imagining like that people really want to be entertained just on like their phones and TVs from their own homes, like forever, you know, I mean, that's, 
There's That's something so really missing in that. Yeah. And I mean, having witnessed the performing art of dance mm -hmm. first, firsthand on just a near daily basis for my whole life, like I know people love it and they love to come and they love to see it or be a part of it, whether they're on stage or in the audience or it's just a gathering. Um, yeah. You know, it's so integral <laughs> to yeah. our are like uh, the enjoyment of our lives, you know? And it's just, I it just takes the breath out of me to think, you know, that the entire industry has just been completely wiped out. Like every single one of us. I mean, we've just all had some time to garden and like, you know, create a spiritual practice and connect more with our friends and read more books or whatever. like. You can see it as like devastation or you can see it as an opportunity to do all those other things that you weren't doing when you were working on those sweat days, you know, and like obsessing about getting, you know, audience members in seats or whatever, like whatever part of the, the performing world you were focused on at the time, whether you're a performer, choreographer, event producer, arts administrator, you know, like we haven't been able to do a lot of that stuff. So like, it shows you what you miss, but it also shows you like what else was possible. Like, you know, what other enjoyable things there are in life to explore that maybe we were missing out on, you know? So I, I know that live performance is never going away. It's always gonna be a part of our lives because it's, you know, <clears throat> it's an experience, like you said, that people don't wanna live without. And like right tomorrow night, I'm going to um, watch a movie with people out at Pearl Bar. And it was going to be a drive-in, but I think we're actually all going to be in lawn chairs. So mask or no mask, like we're going to be there together in person. And that's just starting to come back more and more and more. So um, yeah, people can't really live without each other, without that sense of shared experience. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, that does, you know, that reminds me too of just how you got started <laughs> in Natsuo performances at 2 a.m. I mean, those, those were not like, legal in the slightest. But drunk audiences are very forgiving. Right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, what happened to, did, did I, I mean, I feel like the main, the, Thing that happened at that point was just that the fire marshal like kept shutting it down or did shut it down like what happened to that it was a huge scene of underground arts it wasn't just you know it was performing and just people artists themselves getting together after working their mm -hmm. shows yeah some of the most amazing intellectual conversations and experiences and um just mind-blowing stuff and I was in my early 20s just sort of taking it all in and I literally lived there in a room like in a an old shoe storage because it had been a shoe warehouse like kind of like a Macy's for years um and I lived in this dark little room for two years and got my some of my dance training and lots of performance wow. experience there and just had all these amazing conversations and experiences um but Jim Pirtle the owner his 
daughter, Martha, was just a wee little toddler when I moved in. And um, she, they were, people were always calling CPS because she would run around without shoes, but she was fine for the most part. <laughs> um, and then what really caused the real controversy was that someone fell out of the second story window. Oh was, no. I think she was high mm. on like some pretty serious drugs. I think she kind of like nodded off and fell and then got a serious injury, but didn't die. And so that's what caused the whole thing to sort of shut down momentarily. But then he, Jim Crow reopened it um, as just the coffee shop downstairs. Right. After a sort of hiatus. And now it's, it's still a performing space, you know? Yeah. It's just as grungy as ever. I don't know if it's quite <laughs> interesting as it was then. I think it, that might have been the golden age, but you know, we tend to look back on right. with nostalgia. So who knows? There's there's always going to be a place for the weirdest artists to go and be <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean that was you know that was a really cool gateway into dance for me because it allowed me to not be someone with a lot of training. Um, it was really performance art. Yeah, yeah. Run by a guy who was a ballerina. Yeah, who had a lot of great dance skills to impart and teach. His main thing was like, how can we be really shocking and dark and weird and, right. and have a lot of fun with it, you know? So he still teaches at the, well, he was teaching at the Houston Ballet um, before the pandemic. So oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Richie. <laughs> Hi, Richie. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, he told me a story about when you guys were rehearsing. I, I think it was at Natsuo that anybody who showed up to rehearsal would be in this show that he was putting together. <laughs> and, and there was like one guy who like did not have the brain power to know that he was at a dance rehearsal, but he was like sweeping the floors. And he ended up in the show because, like, yeah. he meant He's it. Such an opportunist. Yeah. He, anything he could use on a yeah. person, any skill, any performance quality, I really learned that from him that, like, mm. everybody has something very interesting and captivating to offer on stage. And, um, yeah, and that, that's, a, that's an important message or skill in life everyone has something to offer, you know? Yeah, right. so I'm at a point now where the dancers I work with tend to be highly trained because that's what I wanna see, but then they also have to be willing to get weird and do some stuff that, um, you know, they have to be willing to take on their own artistry and not just regurgitate what I've given them because it falls flat when people do that. So the artists I work with are I'm finally at a point where I don't have to show anybody modern dance 101 or explain the concepts of, you know, of basic anything. Um, so that's really an awesome gift, but they have to be beyond the training. They have to be, a, you know, a true artist that's willing to take risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Cool. So let's see. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your advocacy for the LGBT community and how how you advocate and uh, why having a dancer, you know, LGBT, like 
um, are you more of an LGBT advocate for the dance community or more of a dance advocate? And so, you know, just kind of how does it, what is it all about, all about to you? Both and all, I guess, yeah. Because I feel like it's really important for the dance community to um, acknowledge and celebrate its, its queer dancers and voices um, and choreographers. And, and that hasn't always been the case. Um, it's really been so ridiculous that the majority, uh, not the majority, but a, a, a high percentage of dancers um, that are male are gay and they have been coerced most of their dance careers to not only pretend to be straight on stage and always, you know, perform as a straight male, whether it's embodying more of the masculine macho characteristics in their movement and but or also doing strictly love dances with women you know so there's this whole side of themselves that's not being expressed and that is you know they're being robbed of and then and then many many male choreographers um are gay and don't get to see their um necessarily their vision fulfilled because they're dependent on funding from people who are threatened by seeing anything queer on stage. And, and that is all changing and I'm a part of that change. And so everything from writing um, queer dance theory essays that are produced online to teaching queer dance movement workshops, which uh, make these conversations available for dancers where we get together, we define like, okay, we're dancers, we've been taught to move this way. We've been taught that women, girls have to be pretty and, and boys have to be strong. And um, let's talk about masculine qualities in movement and let's talk about feminine qualities and let's talk about what is it to be androgynous and let's disband all of it in a way that's empowering. So we don't have to get rid of all of these things that are, all of these ways of movement that are interesting and fun to express in our bodies, but we get the freedom to say, I'm, I'm gonna move in a masculine way or a feminine way, regardless of my gender um, or orientation. And I have the freedom to do all of it or none of it. And just just really understand that it's all a construct. It's all some, some stuff that's been handed down to us that we get to take what we want and leave the rest behind because I swear to God, like next time I go into a ballet class and the teacher says, okay, just the men, like, and I've already done this in ballet classes before where, you know, the teacher will, will give a jump combination and say, this is for the men and this is for the women and the men, only the boys move the bars and only the, the women curtsy and like all these ridiculous rules. Like I like to jump. I like to do certain kinds of turns that supposedly are just for men. And there are lots of men who want to be pretty and dainty and feminine when they move. And they're not being allowed to do that in a lot of their dance classes and on stage. And it's just ridiculous. Like we should all be free to express ourselves wholly. And um, yeah, so, so first we have to look at what's broken and then put it back together in a way that, that empowers everyone. Um, and it's the same with, 
you know, all these amazing conversations and causes that are that are changing the world right now with dismantling white supremacy. Um, all of it's got to go. You know, it's the Me Too movement. All the old structures that were really hurting people and oppressing people, and and having not just the, those being oppressed, but the oppressors mm. with, you know, um, really unhealthy, unhappy lives. Like we can just let it all go. We can all just be equal and fully expressed and and celebrate each other's individuality. Like that's the world that I'm creating. And so everything from, you know, working with younger people to have those workshops and, and dancers of any age to creating choreography that I feel like, you know, just just me producing and, and making public content that is very freely gay. <laughs> like, I feel like that has an impact on its own when somebody sees that, you know. Um, I remember before I came out, like seeing that a dancer in Houston who was a lesbian <clears throat> had that public on her Facebook page. I was like, oh, I can't believe she's so brave that she does that, that people know she's gay, you know? And like now it's like, it's literally just, <laughs> um, it's like a badge of honor that I wear with pride but it took a long process to do that so I want to be that for other people and then um, and then in concrete ways of course I'm working on a queer camp that will hopefully happen in spring of 2021 and I'm talking to Pride Houston about uh, collaborating with them on it because they've got the resources and the marketing and the the tools to get a lot of people out there for it so basically it's, it's a group um, that we'll get to go out into the woods and recreate the camp experience, but it's for adults. So it's 18 and up. And if you're in any way affiliated with, with the LGBTQ alphabet soup, which is <clears throat> too many letters to mention. That's why I love saying queer because it includes everyone. Um, so if you're LGBTQ in any way, shape or form, then you're invited to be a part of it and to go out to the woods and do some fun artistic, like arts and crafts kind of stuff. Everything from dance workshops to mindfulness meditation by the stream to hiking and kayaking and campfire songs and live entertainment at the end of the night and a talent show, a scavenger hunt, you know, like all of the fun camp stuff, but for grownups. So that'll be a really fun event that, um, that brings the, that'll be more of the arts advocacy within the LGBTQ community that you mentioned. Whereas my focus up till now has been more of the advocating for queer issues inside the dance world. So all that to say, yeah, like I'm, I'm just sort of, I've integrated it into my life in a lot of different ways. And it's, um, it's really a joy and an honor to get to represent my community in some of these ways and, and let them tell me what they want, you know, because, you know, as a, as a leader of a nonprofit and as a person who makes a lot of opportunities possible for people, like way more than I ever have or could, <laughs> you, um, you know that like you start out with an idea 
of something cool that could happen, but then it's all about the people you're serving. It's all about the, the community and the audience and the participants and the, you know, people that you're working with having a great experience. So that's where your joy comes from is like, wow, that summer camp really impacted a lot of lives. Wow, that show had so many artists express themselves and so many people in the audience walk away forever changed, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's all about. I'm that I'm really excited about this podcast too, being able to highlight artists um, yeah. that I know and love so well uh, and really trying to <clears throat> reach people, you know, beyond uh, yeah. COVID barriers beyond, you know, transportation issues. Um, I'm going to yeah. go back and listen to them all now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you heard one yet? I haven't listened to any of them yet. That's so okay. They'll, I, they'll be here forever. I'm so excited. And can I tell you, I have been <clears throat> going through every single one of those master classes. Awesome. And doing them in order. Like, they're incredible. What a, what a brilliant resource for people because the teachers you hired just explain stuff so well and they make it so easy. And like, I didn't know that hip hop potaburet was so fun compared <laughs> to other potaburets that I've been doing my whole life, you know? Awesome. Yeah. So uh, so for our listeners, uh, Rivka's referring to a masterclass series that's on the Dance Houston YouTube page, which she contributed to. Um, it also has another uh, 11 artists uh, presenting different styles of dance. So I encourage you guys to check that out for sure. These classes are dope. And then I, I wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind briefly describing your uh, involvement in the Garden of Earthly Delights, just as kind of, you know, it was a show we did together in 2016, I believe. And it was a commission and it was a full ballet based on the Heronium S. Bosch painting of the same name. And we had a, just a handful, five choreographers do different sections of the work. And I wanted you to describe your section and how, how you did it and what it was like being a part of a show with, you know, a lot of, with a few contri contributing artists and like how you saw it come together. Oh, wow. That was really an incredible opportunity because I had never heard of or seen that painting before. But if, if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's wild. I mean, this guy was on all kinds of crazy um, levels when he painted <laughs> literally levels of existence and history. Right. There's a lot of violence and a lot of nudity. And so I remember sort of being inspired by that um, when I came up with the choreography and just feeling like it was really like sexual and grotesque and playful all at the same time. Like there were so many different fun ideas to explore. So we did some fun partnering. Um, remind me who did the music for that. Do you remember? Leroy Osman okay. was the composer and the University of Houston Wind Ensemble. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wind Ensemble did the played it. Yeah. I think there was like 47 instruments. I mean, it was just a huge sound. And it was very, it's a very complicated musical piece. Yeah. So that was a challenge in and of itself. Absolutely. I remember everything about that project feeling like 
so big and and um, exciting. And so finding like some sort of, I remember, I think one of the songs you gave me was kind of like a sweet trio for, for three women, uh -huh. maybe, or for yeah. Oh yeah, you had two pieces in it. That's right. Yeah, you you did the, the three girls by the uh, fountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On their and yeah, so getting to sort of like be sort of sweet and playful in that one. Uh -huh. the other piece was kind of more of like a climactic, like giant um, running and throwing each other kind of vibe. Um, so yeah, it was super cool to get to play with those different dynamics and, and your dancers were phenomenal. Like you just, you know how to pick them. Oh, thank you. I'm very proud of them. So I'll, I'll, I'll put a, out a little sample of that work too, so we can oh. refresh our memories. Cause I think we have, probably haven't seen it in a while, but it'd be really fun. Oh my gosh. To yeah. Take a look at. yeah. So yeah. would you um, let us know kind of what your dream project is? Like if somebody really wanted to support you, what would you, uh, you talked you told us about your queer camp and huh. your upcoming you know that you're going to keep doing these videos but i guess like you know if you were going to write a big grant do you already know what it would be for for a big show or for a big event or um what you've been yeah. dreaming about in your daydreams yeah i mean there's like i'm trying to choose between the 10 that are going through my mind right now so yeah queer camp just getting bigger every year is, is the dream for that event getting like becoming like a seven day camp people coming from all over and um so that's really a cool vision but are like choreographically i want to collaborate with some of my heroes so everybody from shen wei my like my favorite living choreographer to emma ortner you know like why not just look around at the people that are doing the most innovative interesting work and, and dream about collaborating with them because it could happen. Um, I want, I, I still have to find my partner for this duet. And, and so that's the next, the most immediate, and it's going to be just like the highest quality film production that, that you can imagine. Because for me, my new take, which has sort of always been my take on dance film, but one of my focus the main focus of dance film for me now is that the, the camera is the dancer you know and what's possible with dance film that you can't do in a live show and really exploring that so having um having that go really well which i was happy with concrete flow for sure but i wanted the camera to dance a little bit more so i the lessons that i learned from that i'm going to definitely implement in this project but I want to tour Bodies of Light. That show only got to be performed a few times. And it, it was okay. like eight incredible dancers. And people need to see this work. Like, I feel so passionately about how beautiful and inspiring and gut-wrenching and life-changing that, that show was for the people that got to experience it. Um, so I want to tour that, like, all over the world. And then I'm just really fascinated fascinated with body paint and like I found out that um, Shen Wei actually did a project where he covered the stage in a canvas and then the dancers came out and they had body paint like sort of I don't know some sort of way to 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 keep it replenished you know like those those uh, cleaners that you fill up the tube with soap and then it just keeps distributing soap onto the sponge yeah <laughs> 
they had like that in their costume. So they painted the whole stage throughout the course of the show. Oh, wow. And then he cut out a square of each canvas and sold it to the audience members in the lobby for, you know, $100 per 12 by 12 square or whatever. Wow. Then he had the money to buy the next canvas for the next show, right? Wow. A, a 1,200 square foot canvas is pretty expensive. Very practical. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I'm just like bursting with ideas about body paint and what, what's possible with visual art merging with um, dancers' bodies. So, yeah. Yeah, to be continued. But yeah, anybody who wants to throw, you know, a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand dollars at me, I will use it so wisely. I promise. <laughs> You're gonna get a lot of bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I stand behind that statement for sure. Uh, well, I like to close this show with you giving us some advice, either kind of as a dance teacher or just as um, as a friend and leader. Um, like if we were your students, if you could um, send us off um, either to dance today um, or just to you know get through the rest of the day um, in the way you'd like to see us do so yeah um okay so something that i heard yesterday that was like revelatory to me is that to be healthy you have to breathe <laughs> you have to have air is your top priority you can't survive more than a few minutes without it and then of course you need water and then you need food um, and you can go a while without it, but, and then you need shelter and then you need connection and self-expression, right? And so if you're not, if, if you're not doing any one of those things and making sure that you're getting enough water and the right kinds of food and sleep and taking care of your body, but also like if you don't have a stable living situation or you don't have good connections with other people or you're not expressing yourself artistically like you're gonna wither and die like you're gonna you're gonna slow it's a slow death but you're still gonna wither and die so you have to feed yourself on all of those levels and what really stood out about that for me was that like I felt like I already knew all that stuff like I drink two gallons of water a day I sleep super well I've like biohacked all of these things, you know, like I, I get my greens in. I just drank celery juice before this interview. Like, if you can believe that, it tastes so bad, but it's so good for you. But like, literally I have all of those things going on, except I had forgotten about the breathing part. The most important, the first one, the one you can't live without for very long. I realized I was breathing like one count in, one count out. And I, when you sit and like, breathe in for four and out for four and just let yourself do that that literally is the foundation of your health you know so like if you go through that checklist and realize like oh there's always like one thing that maybe I was kind of skipping out on um you can address that one thing or maybe there's four things that you're not like paying attention to and that really need your attention but literally that's all you need to be happy that that checklist for your life, you know? And, and if you're not happy, it's because one of those things is out of whack or more. Yeah, so that's all. My guest today has been Rivka French. Rivka, thank you for being a part of Dance Talk. Thank you, Andrea. I love you, I love everything you're doing and I love everybody watching. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share our podcast and reach out to us on social media if you'd like to talk. 
To support Dance Talks, donate to Dance Houston. Talk to you on Monday.